0: As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here Monday through Friday as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Father, well, I want to thank you for each of my brothers and sisters here on the screen, Lord, and we count it a privilege to start today with you and with each other. Uh, Lord, what better thing can we do, Lord, than open your word and read it, but not only read it, Lord, but meditate upon it, uh, to ponder it a bit. But then ultimately, Lord, as we sign off, not only to read it or uh, discuss it, meditate on it, but Lord to put it into action, to obey what you've asked us to do in this chapter. So, Lord, I just pray you would apply this chapter in a unique way to each person on this screen. Uh, You'd give us all ears to hear what we need to do specifically uh, after reading this chapter. So, Father, we thank you for your presence, and it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay, let me read uh, 1 Samuel 7. And the men of Kirath jerome came, and they took the ark of the Lord, and they brought it into the house of Abinadad on the hill, and they consecrated Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. It came about from the day that the ark remained at Kirim Jerem, that the time was long, for it was twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. The Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all of your heart, remove the foreign guards and the Asherah from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him alone, he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals, and the Asherah, and they served the Lord alone. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mitzvah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And they gathered to Mitzvah, they drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We've sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mitzvah. Now when the Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered to Mitzvah, The lords of the Philistines went up against Israel, and when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Then the sons of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a sucking lamb, offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him, Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to the battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them, so that they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mitzvah and they pursued the Philistines, and they struck them down as far below as Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mitzvah and Shen, and named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come anymore within the border of Israel, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Akron, even to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. So there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Now, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he used to go annually on circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mitzvah. And he judged Israel in all these places. Then his return was to Ramah, for his house was there. And there he judged Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. Amen. Okay, um, as we're looking at uh, 1 Samuel 7, uh, I think there's three three primary themes that, that speak to me. Uh, and, you know, even before I jump into this study, uh, I'm just seeing Eric there. Let's just take a minute. Let's just pray for him uh, and ask God's spirit to come on him. Father, we just, before we even jump in, we pause, Lord, we lift our brother Eric up. Uh, we thank you for his faithfulness to be part of the soap. Uh, and Lord, we just pray that your spirit would come on him uh, in a fresh way, Lord, that you would touch him, uh, his heart, uh, the surgery, whatever else needs to be done, Lord. We, we know uh, that you're watching over him, and we just pray you would touch him in spirit and soul and body. Lord, as we lift them before you, and we thank you, Lord, even now, for what you're doing and going to do, Amen, Amen. Okay, here we go. Uh, so, three things come to mind. Number one, I think we have to be honest ourselves this morning: is do we serve any foreign gods in our lives? I'll try to unpack that as we go. Uh, secondly, uh, we need to remember the importance and the power of prayer. And number three, I think we need to constantly remind ourselves in a world that's fallen and twisted, we need to remind ourselves who God is and what he's done for us. So we're going to look at those three things. But before I go into those three themes, I think I need to give you a little bit of background about the ark. Uh, If you see in the beginning there are seven, it talks about the ark. So the ark was the most important piece of furniture for the Israelites. It was housed in the Holy of Holies, uh, and also within the Ark were the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Ark represented literally the presence of God, and usually when the Israelites went out to fight uh, their different enemies, uh, the Ark always was there with them, and it was a reminder, a physical presence, and reminder to them that God was for them, and God was going to fight the battle in their behalf. So the Ark uh, represents that, and uh, we see here, as we look at some of the past chapters, that the Ark was literally uh, taken captive by the enemy, by the Philistines. They stuck the Ark in with where their god was. Their god was Dagon, uh, and Dagon was their primary uh God that they served as the Philistines. But when they brought the ark between Dagon, the next day Dagon fell down, the idol fell down, uh, and people around that area and asad were beginning to be struck with tumors. Well, that freaked them out, but good. So, like, we, we don't want to mess with this ark, it's 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 not doing good stuff in ours. So the ark, when it was taken into the Philistines, first it went to Astad, and then from there. Uh, we saw that it was handed to Gath, but then when the ark was at Gath, again, people in the Philistines were being uh, overwhelmed by the presence of this ark. So it was given from Gath to Ekron, and uh, basically, we could see the people uh, in Ekron were freaking out. Uh, this ark was causing them tumors, hard times, confusion, and let me just get you the verse Uh, In 1 Samuel chapter 5 and 11, this is what happens. They sent, therefore, and gathered all the lords of the Philistines. They said, send away the ark of the God of Israel. Let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly confusion throughout the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. So, okay, Philistines said, hey, at first we got the ark. This is good. It's going to allow Israel to be defeated because the ark to them— represented the Israel god, but because it was causing havoc in Philistines, the Philistines said, here, you have this ark, it's yours, we don't want to mess with it anymore. So now we pick it up uh, in 7, with that background, it says, the men of cathar Jerem, that's within the Israel border, came and they took the ark of the Lord, and they brought it into the house of Abimadad, on the hill, and they consecrated Eliezer as his son to keep the ark of the Lord. It came about from the day that the ark remained at uh, Kiram Jerem, the time was long for it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So the ark was there, but we shift from the ark that the big issue here is Israel lamented before the Lord. Israel lamented before the Lord. And the big deal is like, okay, why are they lamenting? And if we understand the context of this chapter, they lamented because Israel was getting defeated over and over and over and over. They're just not able to pull off the battle. Even though the ark was back with them, um, their lifestyle was short-circuiting their connection with God And when their connection with God was short-circuiting, the power that Israel had went down the tubes and out the drain. So basically, they're lamenting, uh, and at this point, uh, Samuel, who's the prophet at that point of Israel, goes to the Israeli people and says, hey, let me fill you in why things are not doing so swift for you, why things are going bad. So listen, Israel, to what I have to say, and here's what Samuel says. Uh, verse 3 Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart. So basically, Samuel's saying to Israel, You got to return. Another way of saying that, you need to repent. You need to be sorry, Israel, because of your sins. You've been just not walking with God, you're not obeying God things are going really tough for you, you need to change your ways. Uh, so you need to return to the Lord. But I think it's very interesting. Uh, how much are we to return? If you return to the Lord with all your heart, not a little bit, not most. So said, no, no, no. If you're going to come back, you got to do the whole deal or forget it. Come with all of your heart. And he says, you know, if you do that, you're going to do something to show God that you mean business and not just lip service, that you're going to come with all your heart. You need to do something specific. He says, and you remove the foreign gods and the Asherah from among you. Uh, And the Asherah uh, were the female deity uh, of like the agriculture of the Philistines. So the Lord's basically saying, hey, okay. You got to turn from any foreign gods. And it was the and also the Baals. We've heard about them in the scriptures. Uh, Simon says, if you do that, uh, and if you do the next thing, and you direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him alone, he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So basically, uh Samuel's saying things are not going well, and if you want things to change in a new direction in Israel, you got to repent. You got to turn away from these false gods, and you got to give God your whole heart, and you got to seek to follow him, and if you do that, God's going to do what he said he'd do. He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines, excuse me. So, Why were things not going good for Israel primarily? Because they were not listening to God and they were not obeying God. It's that that simple. They wanted to do their own deal, do their own thing, and it was getting them in a mess and a lot of trouble. So I think we need to kind of bring this from 1 Samuel 7, and let's bring it right up to 2023. Uh, So uh, are we by any chance serving a foreign god. Now, you know, <clears throat> I don't think anybody on this screen basically goes down and bows be- before a piece of metal or a piece of Not Come on, we're, we're not that primitive. But I think it's very possible um, we could be bowing down to false gods. So what's a god? What's god? And if you look carefully, I think, at the Bible, you'll see that God is anything that holds first place in your heart. Your God is what holds first place in your heart. If you want to know what your God is, where do we spend our time? Where, where, what's the most important thing worth our time? Number two, where do we use our talents? Our God-given abilities or our talents? Where, where do we spend our time doing that? And three, um, basically, I think we need to see where we place our money, our time, our talents, and our money. If you can find out where those are being used, that is your God or my God. So let's look at some possible false gods that could be in our day of 2023. How about <clears throat> Mike had a background there of sports, baseball, football, hunting, fishing. Hey, I literally believe there's people bowing down to a football, bowing down to a baseball, bowing down to fishing, whatever. They don't bow down to it, literally, but it it consumes them. That's the driving thing in their life. It's a false god. There's other false gods. Some people, it could be pleasure. I can't wait for the next trip. I know some people that they save money year-round so I can get to the next trip, so I can do the next fun thing. Their God is pleasure. I think there's all kinds of things that can be God. What about your house? There's some people, their house, I mean, they it's just like, I'm gonna make this the most beautiful thing in the world. I'm gonna add this and that and whatever. And their house could be a, a, a God. What about a job or a position or a title? Very subtle, but there's some people that literally would bow down. I like to be called a CEO. I like to be called Doctor. Whatever it is, that can be a false god. A person could be a false god, a husband, a wife, a child, a friend. We don't bow down before them like the uh, people of the Philistines bowing down to Dagon. No, but if a person is the number one thing in our lives. It's a false God. So basically, uh, I guess one other one I looked down, drugs, alcohol, that can be a God. Unfortunately, it's a a reversed God, but still it could be something that's the driving force within your life. So I think there's a challenge here. And again, if I challenge you, I've got to challenge myself. Honestly, honestly, are there any false gods in your life or mine? And it's very interesting. Uh, It's you can't have like a mixture. Well, I'll I'll serve God a little bit. I'll serve sports a little bit. I'll I'll serve money a little bit. Um, God is calling for the whole deal. In other words, if you want to be a Christ follower, I hear Jesus said you got to give it all. You got to surrender all, not partial, not a little, not most. God's calling for a radical commitment, and it's not too excessive because he died for us. I like what somebody said, if Christ died for you, the least we can do is live for him. So I think that's the first challenge I see. Do I have any false gods, any false allegiances? Am I Am I a mixture? that, Yeah, I serve God, but I'm also serving this, 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 this. So I see Samuel challenging the people back then. And Alice, return to the Lord with all of your heart. Serve him alone. So that's number one. Number two, excuse me, would be uh, the importance and the power of prayer. If you look at verse 7, it says, Now when the Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered at Mitzvah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Now notice what they do. Then the sons of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. They're saying, Oh, man. Samuel, you got to pray because we're in a fix here, and we do not want to go down the tubes again. Nine, and Samuel took a suckling lamb, offered it to the Lord as a whole burnt offering. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now, Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to the battle against Israel. I like the way that this is uh, put, uh, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines. Don't quite know what it means, but I wouldn't want to be a Philistine at that point. And confused them so that they were routed before Israel. the men of Israel went out of Mitzpah. They pursued the Philistines, and they struck them down as far below as Beth-kar. Samuel prays. God answers Israel. Is defeated. So I believe, if you look carefully at the Old and the New Testament, that the primary way God has given you and I to partner with him in bringing heaven down to the earth, the primary way God has given to us as humans is by prayer. It's by prayer. Listen to what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, the words of our Lord himself, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you're going to find. He said, knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. There's also a verse in James chapter 4, verse 2, it says this, the Lord says this, you don't have because you don't ask. Think about that. You don't have because you don't ask. God could do whatever he pleases at a snap of a finger, but God says, hey, in bringing heaven to earth, I want you, mankind, to be part of the action.'" So guess what? I want to bring heaven to earth, and I'm going to do it with you. And if you don't pray, then I'm going to wait. I'm not just sovereignly going to do my thing. I wait for you to pray. And when you folk pray as the church or the believers in the Old Testament and Jehovah, when you pray, you release me to do what I've always wanted to do. So um, God, I believe, wants to answer prayer. But I think... Many times, here's my observation. As I've looked at the church over years, my observation is this. I believe many people, and I I have to put myself in this at times, get frustrated, wondering, God, like, why are you not answering my prayers? I prayed for this person. Instead of getting better, they die. I prayed for my marriage, some people, and it didn't work. And, And it goes on and on and on and on. So I'm convinced of this. I believe many people have given up as Christians believing that there's power in prayer. I don't believe they would say that to you straight out. I think if, if you quiz people in the church, do you believe in prayer? Oh yeah, I believe in prayer. But but if you really went to the depths of their heart and asked them down here, do you think anything's going to happen when you pray? I believe there's a large part of the church that would say, if you were push, coming to shove, do you believe prayer really works? No, not really. And why is that? Because they've been frustrated. They prayed. They didn't get an answer they thought they should have. And they throw up their hands and say, you know, I don't know if this thing works. Um, So... I believe that we believe that prayer is the major weapon God has given us in the battle down here, folks, we are in a major battle. We're battling the devil. We're battling the flesh. We're battling a world that's nuts and going crazy out there. That God says your ultimate weapon is prayer. Uh, I believe if we if we believe that, we would be packing prayer meetings. I It drove me crazy in all my ministry. Why is the prayer meeting the least attended meeting in the church? And you, I don't care if you want to go to non-denominational churches, denominational churches, whatever. The smallest meeting is prayer. And what that says to me is deep down, we really don't think it makes a difference. So we're not going to show up. I'm, I'm a little prejudiced there, and I get a little wound up on that. But I think that's fairly accurate. Um, and then I think we need to ask the question, okay, but why doesn't God answer prayer? And I think it's not the fact that God doesn't answer prayer. It's are we meeting the conditions that God has laid out in his word for prayer to be answered? Uh, let me just give you a couple of conditions. One of them uh, is in First John chapter 5, verse 14. It says this, and this is the confidence which we have before God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which he has and we have asked from him. In other words, for God to answer prayer, it has to be in his will. How do you determine his will? You better know the Bible pretty well. Uh, not only do you know the Bible, we have to be able to tune our ears. To hear God in the everyday of life. Jesus said, My sheep, that's a believer, hear my voice. So, this is a lifelong process of learning to know what God's will is in any given situation. And if we're praying outside of his will, God's not going to answer it because he said, I can't answer something outside of my will because it's not going to be a blessing to people. So, I'm just not going to do it. So, for prayer to be effective, And answered, it has to be in God's will. Number two, it has to come from a heart that is holy and seeking God. Listen to this. This is Isaiah 59. One. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that he can't save, neither is his ear so dull that he can't hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Doesn't mean necessarily that God doesn't hear the prayer. He hears it. But because of sin, he said, I I can't answer a prayer from a sinful heart because then you'd assume that sin's okay. And I can deal with sin lightly. No big deal. Uh, So, again, if we want to see prayer answered, it has to be in God's will. It has to come from a heart that's holy, and a heart that's seeking to fully follow the Lord. I think another uh, element of answered prayer is faith. Hebrews 11, 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Let me give you a, a, an illustration of my own life here. Um, the Lord really got me off guard one day. So I'm just doing my normal prayer thing, doing a walk. I'm praying about a given situation. And I finished the prayer. And out of the blue, I felt like I heard God say something in my spirit. And here's what he said. John, do you expect anything to happen now that you prayed? It got me totally off guard, blew me away. Because honestly, I was saying the prayer. Maybe, I hope something's going to happen, but there was not the expectancy. Yeah, Lord, I've prayed, and I'm going to look for you to bring an answer in your way or your time. So I think for prayer to be effective, it needs to be prayed. In faith. we need to believe that when we pray, something's happening. We may not always know all the details. We don't know always the time frame, but when we pray, God is at work in a situation. And the last part of prayer, I think that we need to realize a condition is patience. Hebrews 6:12. It says this that you may not be sluggish, but that you would be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Uh, Jesus gave two parables in the New Testament saying you gotta keep at it. Don't give up. If you don't see an answer to prayer immediately, if you believe you're praying in his will. If you're praying from a a heart that's holy, if you're praying with faith, then pray till you see the answer. Pray till you see the answer. And uh, Jesus talks about that in Luke chapter 11 uh, and Luke chapter 18. So I just want to encourage you. uh, God hears prayer. He really does. And prayer changes things. So I just would encourage each of us in our own private life, make prayer a priority. Have that time of devotion when you start the day or wherever it works best for you to get your, your head in the right place, your heart in the right place, get connected to God. Have that quiet time to tune in uh, and then let your life become a prayer. The Bible says in First Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. In other words, may your life be a prayer. Another word uh, saying that is, Lord, just I'm open all day long. I'm open heavenward, Lord. uh, Let's dialogue through the day. Uh, Let's just hang out with each other. So I would encourage you to be people of prayer privately. We have prayer opportunities in the church. On Wednesday morning, Mike announces it uh, from 9 to 10 (coughs) in EHT location. uh, We have an hour of worship and prayer. From nine to ten, from ten to ten thirty, uh, we have a, a focus of prayer specifically for revival and the outpouring of the Spirit on our church and in the, our area. Uh, I think Michael also uh, alluded to there's revival prayer Zoom on Wednesday nights as well. So number one, <clears throat> deal with any false gods that are in your life or in mind. Number two, make prayer a priority. Make prayer a priority, and here's the last one. always remember what God has done for you in the past. Look at 1 Samuel 7. So God answers prayer, and look at verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone, he set it between the Mitzvah and Shen, and named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. It's kind of cool. Israel was really big on reminders. And in this case, they took a stone and they put it between two cities, between Mitzvah and Shen, and they named it Ebenezer. Well, uh, what's Ebenezer mean? It actually means the stone of help. Kind of cool. Stone of help. By the way, I forget the hymn, but there's a hymn where it talks about Ebenezer in it. Um, so basically... Uh, They put the stone there so that whenever they see the stone, it's supposed to remind them, hey, remember who God is. Remember what God's done for them. And if I was an Israelite, or it could be for any of us, I think it would be remember. Remember God made the heavens and the earth. Remember our God opened up the Red Sea. Remember, 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 remember. Remember. Uh, It could be remembering uh, different things that the Lord has done for us. So there's a battle going on, and I think there's a battle between Satan and each of us, and Satan does not want us to pray. I guarantee it. He'll try to find ways to get your mind off of the Lord. Uh, Satan does not want you to remember what God has done in your life. So I think the three major attacks I think the devil throws at us are these. Number one, distraction. He'll do anything he can to get your eyes off Jesus. He can get you to look at your problems. Uh, He can get you to look at your feelings. Oh, I feel cold. Uh, He can get you frustrated about this, about that. He knows, Satan knows the power comes when we focus on the Lord. And folks, if you were there on Sunday morning, the youth did an amazing job. Unbelievable. And they kept hitting it. Jesus is the center. Get close to Jesus. Be intimate with Jesus. If you if you didn't see that service uh, or attend it, get it online. It was so powerful. They lifted up Jesus. And wow, when Jesus is the center you know things begin to shake and they rock and they roll. So Satan will do everything to distract you, but don't let him do it. The other thing I think that Satan tries to do uh, is try to discourage us. He tries to discourage us. Oh, it's not working. It doesn't, you know, life is no good. Um, I know uh, in my own life, I've been uh, battling discouragement at times. I've been praying for a family member for 43 years for their salvation. That's a long time to pray about something, 43 years. And most of the time, I'm okay with that. Uh, but once in a while, I'm praying, and, and I, I just can feel that, like, oh, like, what's the point? You know, prayed 43 years. This person had not coming to Christ. And Satan's there saying, yeah, prayer doesn't mean a thing. Look, look, there's no change. Now, I guarantee I'm not the only one on the screen that Satan talks to. He puts those little little discouraging things and if you ever experience discouragement i guarantee you it's not coming from god it's coming from the other end so satan seeks to distract us he he seeks to discourage us and he seeks to bring doubt in our minds and doubt many times is hooked with discouragement i think sometimes um you know satan comes in and he whispers in your ear uh about god's character how can how can god Here he is being, how can God be God loving and good? Because he's allowed blank to come into your life. What's your blank? What's the trouble that you've had to deal with over your life? And Satan's there saying, well, if God's so good and loving, why do you allow that to happen? He's not a good God. And Satan does that whole deal. So Satan will try to get us off course and get our focus on the wrong thing. He'll distract us. He'll discourage us. He'll put doubts in. Uh, And that's why I believe uh, that the Lord says, no, you got to refocus your brain, your mind. You need to keep it on God. You need to remember who God is, and you need to remember what he's done in your life. Uh, And I think, again, uh, for the Israelites, remember that God opened the Red Sea. For Christians, remember that Jesus died on the cross, but remember he's resurrected from the grave. So to bolster our faith, we need to see God in action here in the Bible, but we need to see and remember church history. Not only in the Bible, but in church history, God has moved. He moved in Martin Luther and caused the the Reformation. He moved uh, and raised a man up like Billy Graham, who did uh, crusades around the entire world. We need to study revivals in the past when Jonathan Edwards uh, was preaching, when Charles Finney was preaching was preaching. Over the years, God has sovereignly come down with power, and the Holy Spirit has literally shaken communities. So not only do we remember God moves in the Bible, but he moves in church history, and here's the last one. He moves in your life. If you don't do this, I challenge you to get a journal, and in a journal, literally, put a date right down when God does something in your life. It doesn't have to be a big thing, but just little things God does. God did this for me on Tuesday. God did this for me the week after. And you got this this journal. And when Satan gives you the junk of discouragement, you open your journal and say, hey, Satan, look, it's written. Look at what my God did. He did this for me that day. He delivered me this way. He answered my prayer here. Touch that situation because a journal. That journal is your Ebenezer. You don't have a stone in the front yard, the backyard. Our Ebenezer, our stone literally is the journal. And we can open it up at any point and say, look at God. He did this. He did that. He did this. He did that. So folks, as we wrap up, those are the challenges. Uh, Are there any foreign gods in our lives? Is there anything That's taking us from serving the Lord completely. And if there's something there, we need to, as Samuel said, return, repent, and give God our full hearts. Secondly, we need to be people of prayer. Oh, do we need that, particularly in this nation as so many weird things are happening. We need to be praying for our government. We need to be praying for the church that it would be what God wants it to be. We need to be praying for the leadership in many areas within This nation. And not only do we need to be praying, we need to also remember who God is and what he's done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for 1 Samuel 7. Lord, thank you just for these reminders you give us in the scripture. Reminders, Lord, that you want our full devotion. Reminders that prayer changes things. Reminders that we need to remember all the good things you've done for us. So I just pray for each of us on the screen, Lord. Lord, just deal with us on this chapter. Uh, Lord, if there needs to be something that needs to be tweaked and changed in each of us, then I pray, Holy Spirit, you would make it real. Uh, But Lord, we pray that we wouldn't just read this section and say, well, that was nice and move on. But Lord, we take it to heart and we would make any changes that are necessary. So we thank you, Lord, for each one here. Thank you for guiding and leading us this day, that you would be our light, our guide, and use us to make an impact, Lord, wherever you take us. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. Have a great day today. We'll see you.